The aha moment came when I was interviewing web developers to develop a website for the country club. And that same week, I had a meeting with the guys that dive in the lakes to pull the balls out of the ponds, reclaim those balls. Right. And the aha moment happened sometime at the end of that week. And I said to myself, wow, what if we combine the guys that are diving in the ponds, make a deal with them to do fulfillment. I work with the web developer to create an e-commerce website and we start selling used golf balls online. And so that was really the aha moment in second half of 95 put the team together in late 95 and launched in very early 96 golfballs.com. We took our viable hobby and turned it into a minimum viable business. And it just grown consistently annually since then. Welcome to the Mod Golf Podcast, where we speak with the influencers, disruptors, entrepreneurs, and innovators who are shaping the future of golf. If you're a regular listener, welcome back. If you're new to the Mod Golf Podcast, thanks so much for joining us and please consider subscribing to the show so you hear about all of our upcoming episodes and you can enter our latest golf product giveaway. This episode is brought to you by Golf Canada and the Golf Canada app, connecting you with an engaging digital platform from coast to coast. The Golf Canada app allows golfers to track their scores, manage their on-course experiences, and identify areas to improve their game. The app is a powerful tool that goes well beyond the handicap reporting and score posting system as it connects golfers to their friends, as well as over 1,400 golf courses across Canada. Download the app for free and visit their website at golfcanada.ca to become a member of our national golf community. I'm your host, Colin Weston, and today my guest is Tom Cox, entrepreneur, co-founder, president, and CEO of golfballs.com. Founded in 1995, Tom conceptualized, planned, financed, and launched golfballs.com as the first online retail business in Louisiana. With a sales growth starting at $16,000 in 1996 to over $25 million 20 years later, GolfBalls.com has been recognized multiple times as one of the 100 best U.S. online retailers list. So, wow, that's impressive. So, Tom, with that introduction, thanks very much for joining me today, and welcome to the Mod Golf Podcast. Thanks, Colin. It's great to be on your podcast with you today. Really appreciate the invitation. Hey, my pleasure. So you reached out to me about a month or so ago, and I've known about golfballs.com. And I'll have to tell you, Tom, I've always wondered, like, what's the business model? What's the differentiator? Like, like, how did you manage to monetize this? Which we're going to get into. Don't, don't answer that one quite yet. Hang on to that one. And when you reached out to me and we jumped on a Zoom call for a chat, it's like, you have to come on the podcast. Your entrepreneurial journey over the last, gosh, 25 years, if not even more to that, Tom. We got to share this story with our listeners today. So, hey, let's start off with a question that I love to ask my guests, your first connection to golf, even before golfballs.com, the first time you've ever picked up a club in your life and uh, your first positive golf memory that you have. My immediate family's not too into golf uh, or hasn't been too into golf, certainly not when I was growing up. But my mother's father, my grandfather, Every summer we would go to Green Cove Springs, Florida, and every summer he would put together a handful of kids clubs and I would go out to, uh, I don't even remember the name of the golf course, but it was five minutes from his house. And that was where I learned, picked up the game of golf. That was my first introduction. I was probably six or seven at the time, maybe a little bit older than that. Gotcha. So do you remember your first really positive swing, that one that, as they say, it hooked you on the game, that one that put a smile on your face, whether it was the first shot that almost went in or whatever that is. Can you remember some real positive moment there? I have one distinct memory and it was using a putter to take a full swing shot from a fairway because I was struggling as a young tyke to hit irons and, and other clubs. And I took a full swing with a putter and I think I hit it like two or three feet from the flagstick on the green. 
somehow I remember that I have that memory to this day of taking a putter from the fairway and, and knocking it close to the flagstick. That is amazing. That is such a good memory. Good stuff. Good stuff. So let's fast forward a little bit. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your, let's say your educational and your business background that led up to you, I guess, pre-1995 when you launched golfballs.com. But tell us about your background leading up to creating golfballs.com. Yeah. So I'm an unlikely entrepreneur. My father worked for the government. His father worked for the government. My mother's father worked for the government and she for a time worked. So I was destined to work for the government. But at some point when I was in college, a friend of mine who worked at a country club said, hey, I'm moving to Texas. I'm working kind of as, as an assistant to the administrative office, this office of a private country club. He said, hey, are you interested? They need some help. So I went, okay. I was working at a copy shop, photocopy shop at the time. You remember there were things like that uh, a long, long time ago. <laughs> Vaguely. This probably This was over 30 years, probably 33 years ago. Something oh, like they were right, right beside the and, Blockbuster video, right? That's where those yeah, were. they were. They were next to the Blockbuster video. There you go. And so I, I took the job, enjoyed it. But it was, it was never what I thought I was going to do as a career. And then I thought I wanted to be a lawyer. First, I thought I wanted to be in government. Some friends of mine in government talked me out of it. And then I thought I wanted to be a lawyer. And I was still working at, at the country club. But around the time of graduation, I was going to take the LSAT. And the country club where I worked changed hands and a Japanese company bought it. And it, it was really intriguing to me. So I said, OK, I'll, I'll ride this out. I eventually became uh, assistant general manager and club manager of, of the country club where I was in club management for a number of years before the internet came along. And so my kind of early career was in golf, but in golf course management versus like I was never a golf pro. If we play golf, you'd instantly know, Tom, you're not a golf pro. You were never a golf pro. But that kind of got me into it. That got me in the golf business. Who are members of private country clubs? Entrepreneurs, business owners. And so I, I had a great opportunity to hang out with those guys. And in doing so, it kind of activated this dormant entrepreneur gene that I had somewhere in deep inside. And I said, man, this is pretty cool. So I was inspired by these guys. And then I kind of started as my career went along. I tended to gravitate to more entrepreneurial activity. That's the early stuff. Good stuff. Good stuff. So you, you then got confidence because you're having conversations with people and then seeing these other opportunities outside of a life of public service that sounds right. like uh, you were perhaps getting groomed for, but at least that was kind of the family tradition. So sounds like for nine years or so, you were the club manager. And as you said, working at Le Triomphe Golf and Country Club in Lafayette, Louisiana. You were there till 1998 and you launched golfballs.com in 1995. So is it fair to say that the early days golfballs.com was more of a side hustle until you got it up off the ground? So before you answer that, why don't you tell us then what the aha moment where you saw opportunities like entrepreneurs do, you see those gaps, those pain points. It was early days in the internet. So where did you see that there yeah. might be a business model here in the aha moment to create something called golfballs.com? So golf was my business, but I was geeked out on computers. I right. kind of felt like computers are the future. I'm really excited about computers. Michael Dell ushered in a revolution of direct selling computers. And then the internet came along. As soon as I saw it, as soon as I experienced it, it seemed obvious to me that it was going to grow and grow and grow and become more and more part of our daily lives. It just seemed obvious to me. I think I was using AOL when it came out and email early on. And this is 93, 94. I'm just kind of learning as much as I can about it. There's some videos, there's cool content. And then at some point in late 95, the aha moment came when I, I was interviewing web developers to develop a website for the country club so that people could book it 
they could kind of see great photos of the facility. And that same week, I had a meeting with the guys that dive in the lakes to pull the balls out of the ponds, reclaim those balls. Right. And the aha moment happened sometime at the end of that week. And I said to myself, wow, what if we combine the guys that are diving in the ponds, make a deal with them to do fulfillment. I work with the web developer to create an e-commerce website and we start selling used golf balls online. Now, the balls weren't the balls that came from the country club. There might have been some. This diving company, they work with literally hundreds and hundreds of golf courses pulling balls from ponds. And so that was really the aha moment in second half of 95, put the team together in late 95 and launched in very early 96, golfballs.com. It was called Golf Ball Warehouse okay. at the time. And we just sold used golf balls at the time. The business started in 95. We started selling February of 1996. Got it. So, and you kind of said in your journey, you noted that I, I still had a full-time gig and that was my side hustle. I'd describe it like a hobby gone awry. It was like, <laughs> okay, this is kind of cool. Let's do this. And it just started consuming more and more and more of my time. And year one was 17,000 in sales and year two was 70,000 in sales. I'm going, man, I've got a full-time gig going on. And so in 98, that's when we bought the domain golfballs.com, raised some money, kind of a modest amount of capital. And I left my full-time safe country club job and focused on golfballs.com full-time as the president and CEO. That was the launching point of the business as a business and not as a hobby. Love it. Love it. Great insights and lessons learned that you just mentioned there, Tom, for aspiring entrepreneurs out there. If you've got some ideas, don't think you need to jump in right yeah. away. Like, don't do that. And I will say back in 2013, when we first got going, I and my business partner, looking back, jumped in too early before not only validating the first idea that we had, but generating something called revenue, which you already started to do with that first $16,000 in 1996. So yes, work on some of the other things too, which I, I want to dig into because I find it fascinating because now, of course, there's so many resources out there for entrepreneurs and startups, and I'm part of that community just to give people a better chance of success. There was no thing called a minimum viable product or a lean startup or talking to customers as far as product validation and all that stuff. So what gave you the confidence to take that plunge or that next step, obviously with growing revenue, a little bit of confidence I can see, Tom, but early on, how did you even see before you sold your your first used golf ball that someone actually would want to go to a 1995 website back when it was still dial up with 56k right. modems that screeched at you and enough people would actually do this rather than just going to wherever to buy used golf balls as they did already so what pain point or advantage were you adding at that time that that really appealed to people that you said ah i'm onto something here people are willing to actually buy golf balls online in 1995 so i'd say two main factors one was that golfers were early adopters of technology and early adopters of, of the internet. They were the first ones online and they were the first ones buying online. Right. Better educated, higher income is kind of a typical demographic of golfers, I would say back then. It's changed somewhat since then, but golfers were early adopters, number one. Two, we offered a value proposition to customers that they couldn't find in stores. So if you go back to that point in time, you could pretty much buy a sack of balls somewhere, but you couldn't buy exactly the type of ball you wanted and pay based on grade of product. So we would sell everything from a like new, what was it back then, a Titleist Professional or a Tour Balata, like right. new, all the way down to a shag level, practice level of the same type of golf ball. So even at the very beginning of the business, we tried to do things and sell things that other companies didn't do. 
So used golf balls online was pretty unique because it was online, but it was also unique because used golf balls really weren't widely available unless you were in a huge golf market. Sometimes you'd find them in your retail store, your golf shop, and you'd have to flip through all the balls to get the kind of balls that you want. Well, we wanted to offer exactly what the customer wanted, which was different than what was in the market at the present time. And it worked. It's hard to say work though, because sixteen, seventeen thousand dollars in sales is kind of work. Like it's kind <laughs> of working. It's kind of not, but it's a it's barely a proof of concept, right? And then in year two, it became a little bit more of a proof of concept. And by year three, it was a proven concept. And we said, okay, this has a lot of potential. Let's give it the resources it needs. Let's give it the attention and effort. We took our viable hobby and turned it into a minimum viable business. And it just grown consistently annually since then. Nice, nice. And I spoke about this on the podcast that for entrepreneurs and, and startups, when you're putting your business idea together, you need to use, you should use something called a business model canvas, which has these nine different zones in it between revenue streams and customers. And one of them in there is, is your channel partners and your supply chain. So I'm curious to know early on, where did you get your golf balls from? And as far as quality assurance, is any used ball a used ball? It could be like almost unplayable or people return. So let's start with this. What was your supply chain? Where did you get your balls from back in the early days? That's really a good, that's a great question because it kind of led us to phasing out of the used golf ball business. Right, right. There's a story along the way. So we initially worked with one of the larger used ball processors in the South. He was based in New Orleans, and then we started working with one in Houston. And as the company grew, we actually started buying pond run balls and processing them, and we had people grading and sorting balls. And this was when we were kind of unique in the market, and we could pay a little bit more because nobody else was selling used golf balls online at the time. So we had the direct connection with customers. So our supply chain was pretty easy. They were happy to sell us balls. We had good quality balls. Right. The challenge we ran into as the company evolved is that more and more of these uh, used ball divers or used ball processors started selling their own product, selling the best of their best directly on eBay. There was no eBay in 95. Right. When eBay came online and had a critical mass, the used ball guys started selling directly on eBay, kind of cutting the word was disintermediation. They started taking the best stuff away from us or charging more for it than they were before and selling it directly themselves. And so we kind of saw the handwriting on the wall and we said, if we're going to be unique in the market and we want to have a better supply chain and more consistent and we want to build relationships with manufacturers, we're going to phase out of the used ball business and we focused on new products in like 99, 2000. And then really in 2000, we had a pretty hard pivot into customized products. And so we started selling it in 98, customized golf balls online in 98. And then I'd say by probably 2000, 2001, that really became the focus of our business. Personalized golf balls for consumers and customized golf balls, logo golf balls for businesses to use at events and tournaments. And again, that was a pivot away from what used to be a unique place in the market that was now crowded. I don't even like the word pivot, but we pivoted once again into a new marketplace where our ability to develop software and processes and develop a unique website that was able to sell customized products was a real competitive advantage for us. If you go back to 2000, it was really hard to sell customized golf products online. And I think in 2001, we actually launched uh, online visualization of products and personalization so the customer could see exactly what they were buying at the time that they were placing the order. 
These are just critical transition points for the business where we exited the used ball business and then really just started focusing on customization. Yeah, you've done a great job there to segue into my next question was, yes, as far as constant iteration, that innovation and evolution of your business, of being able to stay a couple of steps ahead of where the market is, as you said we talk about blue ocean strategy businesses a lot on the podcast, whether it's Top Golf or, or some other, even golfballs.com in the early days, right? Where, yeah, you were very unique in the sense, but yes, you didn't have any barrier to entry against competition, really. There's no IP there to protect yourself. So, yes, once eBay and others come along and a lot of these people that are getting used balls themselves, they, I can build my own website. So, all of a sudden, your business model would no longer exist. You've done a great job of staying a couple of steps ahead. So, let's go there in, in 2000, 2000. And continue on. So you're talking dot com bubble bursting at around 2000 or so. So you had to deal with all of that, but you're also iterating yeah. at the same time. But also the internet is evolving there, as, as you even mentioned there, as far as the visualization piece of what you're able to do. So what would you say as you kept evolving over the next 10 years? Where did you see opportunities that really gave you a barrier to entry? Was it through the technology and the processes you put in place? Also a combination of the relationships that you built up with some of your partners? I would say following the dot-com crash, it was difficult to manage relationships with big brands because they had been stung by a lot of e-commerce businesses that flamed out, right. went into dust. And so, so after a couple of years of validating our business, proving that we were a viable business and that we understood and respected the brands, we resumed direct accounts with all of the major brands. So back to what, what our focus was with respect to, I guess, innovation. At the beginning of the company, we had to develop our own software because you couldn't go somewhere and buy a website, an e-commerce website, right? So we had to have a software competency. As we moved into customized products, you really couldn't go anywhere and buy a website that could effectively manage the sale of customized products either. So fast forward to today, we have a software development team of 10 developers and graphic artists and a CIO, and I'm just kind of bringing you forward to take you back in just a minute. Right. Software development technology is at our core. All of the software that runs our website and all of the software that runs our internal operations, we have developed internally because we haven't found software in the marketplace that is as flexible as we'd like to be able to offer customized products in the way that we make it really easy for customers to order online and very difficult to screw up orders on the back end. And I'd be happy to talk about that one, but I like to say we've made over 25 years, we made an awful lot of mistakes and we have made our software and our processes better and better each year through each iteration to help minimize those mistakes. It's easy to print on golf balls. It's not easy to print 5,000 dozen golf balls in a day and combine that with ball markers, divot tools, and hats and get it all out the right way at the right time to the right customer at the right place. So the complexity of our operation doesn't exist. We don't survive without a technology backbone. And so, so that technology backbone goes all the way back to the beginning of the business where, where we didn't have a choice. If you wanted to sell online, you had to build an e-commerce website. Yeah. Well, you touched on on something there just as far as the things that didn't work. And I'd love to dig into that a little bit. And hopefully you're willing to share as an entrepreneur. I'm sure you are because we all love to celebrate our wins, but we also have no problem usually talking about our, uh, our screw-ups or our, our failures. So perhaps mention a, something that you launched you thought really was going to hit and was going to resonate over the last 20 years. Maybe there isn't, but if you've got one, something you thought for sure was going to resonate with customers, it was going to be the next thing 
thing and it turned out not to be? Is there anything you tried as an experiment that you had to pull back on because you were surprised that it didn't work? You could say that about our entire foray into used golf balls. Okay. We just kept going and going and going. And at a point said, all of this technology and our resources are better off focusing on a different part of the market. You could certainly say that. We make mistakes all the time, but we try to make a lot of little mistakes. Mm -hmm. I would say as an entrepreneur, my biggest mistake early on, what would 53-year-old Tom say to 27-year-old Tom is that people are the most important part of your business. And if you don't have fantastic people on your team, which we do have fantastic people on our team now, not that we didn't, but it wasn't my focus and it wasn't a, an important focus of the business. As an entrepreneur, you feel like you can just run around and fix everything and do things and make it all work out. But had I spent a lot more time in the hiring process and recruiting process and staff development process, it would have advanced the company a lot earlier in its evolution. Got right. It. So people are the most important part of any business. It's not the idea. The ideas are a dime a dozen. It's people, execution, products. You know the story. Well, your respect and reverence for engaging your staff in an authentic way, that ties into my next question, which is about the culture at golfballs.com. So talk about that a little bit. What, what's important? What are your priorities? What are, I don't know if you want to call it your vision statement or whatever that would be, but really what, what are your core values there that, that everybody can hold on to? And it's part of your why, I guess, your purpose and your why. Sure. Core values, our core values have changed somewhat over, over time. Mm-hmm. There's a great book by Vern Harnish, Mastering the Rockefeller Habits. It's a great kind of handbook on how to operate right. a business, and, it, and it's got a, a methodology to how you go about and determine your core values. We did an exercise like that maybe 15, nearly 20 years ago, and we had 12 core values. Bad idea. You don't want to have 12 core values. Now we have five. I'm looking at them right now. Positive energy, accountable innovation, teamwork, and exceeding expectation. And we we use our core values. We weave it into everything we do at the company so that over time, everyone in the company aligns with those core values, mm-hmm. right? So when we hire people, I always like to ask them, what are your two favorite and what are your two least favorite? That tells me about somebody. Right. When we reward people, they're rewarded based on excellence aligned with the core values. When we do performance evaluations, our performance evaluations, we always have a checklist and both the positives and the negatives anchor back to the core values. Eventually, you have a team of people that are like-minded that align with your core values. My personal favorite is positive energy. My blood types be positive. I don't know what that means. My wife says, <laughs> my wife says you're pretty positive. And I choose and our team chooses. There's a lot of places for people to work. We want positive people to work at golfballs.com. There are a lot of other places for people to be. That's my favorite. I like innovation a lot too. We have signs up throughout the building and we talk about our core values all the time. We live it and we breathe it every day. I I can sense that. It's not just words on a wall here, the way that you are constantly innovating here. And what do they say that, you know, you're a product of the four or five people that you surround yourself with. So you need to surround yourself with good people, whether they're smarter than you, more creative, or even just positive people. And I've done the same thing where I know in the past that, you know, certain parts in your life, you just, whether it's circumstance or you make some bad decisions or just where things are, you kind of get involved with some people that necessarily embrace that and pull you down also. So it sounds like you make a very positive, conscious, 
effort to keep things positive. So, so hey, wanted to talk about this a little bit because you touched on the customization piece here. And I see you right within your tagline on your website, world leader in golf customization. So I look at that, talks about personalization and really caring about the customer and the customer experience. So that then dovetails into loyalty and trust. Can you talk about that and how important that is for you just as far as being consistent and, and building loyalty and trust with your customers and your staff? Sure. So from the very beginning, as I mentioned, we talked earlier, my background is in private club management. In private club management, the customer is first and the customer's right. And if, if something happens, it doesn't matter who's right or wrong, you make it right by the customer. We've kind of taken that philosophy at golfballs.com and we have a 100% satisfaction guarantee. It doesn't matter if you messed up the order. It doesn't matter if the shipper shipped it wrong. It doesn't matter. We will make it right or we'll give you your money back. Whatever, whatever you want. We prefer to make it right. It's a better customer experience, but we know packages get lost. Sometimes orders may get misprinted, right? It's it's a reality of shipping or printing up to 5,000 dozen golf balls in a day. So we, we always do our best to make it right by the customer. There's no right or wrong, and the customer service doesn't even need to think about it. The answer is yes, we'll fix it, and we'll make it right, and we'll ship it out to you. That's just how we do business. And in kind of an internet age, in an age of social media and product reviews and customer accountability, you really don't have a choice. You have such transparency in your actions as a business that I don't know how any company can't offer 100% satisfaction guarantee and make it right by customers every time and still stay in business. Right. Like we've done it from the beginning. And I think that's probably one of the reasons that we're 25 years later, we're still here, we're innovating, but we're also making sure that our customers are, are satisfied. Doesn't mean we do it every time, but we try really, really hard to do it every time. And when we don't, we try to have a graceful recovery that satisfies the customer. Got it. Got it. So I'm sure you must know the numbers. So as far as loyalty, you must have a large percentage of your of your clientele, your customers as return customers. How big yeah, is, is your, is your, I'll just say is your in, customer in base any given, In any given month, year-round, more than half of the people that buy from us have bought from us before. In any given month, at any time during the year. Sometimes, like in the month of December, there's a lot of gifting, so it mm-hmm. might skew down a little bit. And then in a, a month like April or May, it'll skew a little higher. But north of 50% of people that buy from us in any given month have bought from us before. And at the same time, we're growing. So you kind of have a, you have a growth pressure that's going to lower, naturally lower that percent because you're acquiring new customers. So kind of 50 to 60%, we think is a really nice, nice range Nice uh, for customer loyalty. And, and of course, we always want to approve it. Absolutely. Well, you know what? I've got a whole whack of questions to keep asking you here, but I'm going to hold off. I'm going to show a little restraint for a change here because you and I are going to jump on a Zoom call for our video interview that we will then post on our Mod Golf YouTube channel. So you've gave us the backstory here, your entrepreneurial journey. I do want to talk on our YouTube channel about the future and even the transition and the opportunities during COVID. So just hold off on those right now. And also, I want to get more entrepreneurial nuggets of wisdom and lessons learned from you, Tom. So, hey, just finish up here on our audio portion here with the podcast. Why don't you tell our listeners where they can learn more about golfballs.com? I think it's pretty simple, but why don't you why don't you give it a go? I, I appreciate you teeing that up for me, Colin. So, so when, when your business name is your product and is your location, it makes it pretty easy for people to find you at golfballs.com, the world leader in golf customization. There we Thank go. You. Good stuff. Well, Tom Cox, entrepreneur, co-founder, CEO, president of golfballs.com. It has been 
This has been an amazing conversation. I just love your entrepreneurial energy, your positivity. I feel even more positive than when we started 35 minutes ago. So thank you for that, Tom. And it's been a pleasure having you today. So thank you for joining me on the Mod Golf Podcast. Thank you, Colin. So that's a wrap for this episode of the Mod Golf Podcast. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Tom Cox, entrepreneur, co-founder, president, and CEO of GolfBalls.com. If you'd like to learn more about Tom, visit our episode show page where we've included website links and contact information. The video link for my extended conversation with Tom is also on the episode show page. And please subscribe to our ModGolf YouTube channel while you're there. If you leave a comment, I promise to respond. Please join me next time when my guest is Lisa O'Hurley, the founder of Lola Sport. I'd like to take a moment and thank our episode sponsor, the Audi Night Golf Experience, hosted by Golf Canada in both Toronto and Vancouver. The Audi Night Golf Experience will push the boundaries between progressive technology and traditional golf by challenging golfers to hit various shots under the lights for prizes while enjoying premium food and beverages, music, and entertainment. Visit AudiNightGolfExperience.com to learn more and enter for a chance to participate. If you enjoyed this conversation about entrepreneurship in the golf industry, you can find more compelling episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen in. And don't forget to subscribe to the show on our homepage to hear about upcoming episodes and to enter our latest golf product giveaway. I'm your host, Colin Weston. Thanks very much for joining me. Bye for now.